0: Okay, today we return to our study through the Bible, Uh, we come to the book of Joshua. Joshua is an amazing book. Let me say, first of all, you can find at least 20 similarities between Joshua and Jesus. Joshua provided salvation for... God's people, Jesus provides ultimate salvation for his people. The Hebrew word for Joshua is Yeshua. The Hebrew word for Jesus is Yeshua. The Hebrew word Yeshua means Savior Conqueror. The Hebrew name Yeshua means Savior Conqueror. Joshua brought deliverance from enemies. Jesus brings deliverance deliverance from enemies. Joshua was preceded by the lawgiver Moses. Jesus is preceded by the law. And the list goes on and on. Let me position the book of Joshua since we've taken a few week break. I'm delighted how many are reading along with us in our study through the Bible. If you haven't yet, at least start now. If you haven't read the book of Joshua lately, may I encourage you to read it now. It'll take you less than an hour to read the book of Joshua. You could do it this afternoon. Some of you were glad I took a three-week break from preaching so you could catch up in your Bible reading. So hopefully we're all good to go. But when you read the book of Joshua, you can be sailing through the first 12 chapters and it's really exciting. You come to the last 12 chapters and it's not so exciting. But it was to Israel. Joshua is divided into two sections, the first 12 chapters and the second 12 chapters. The first 12 chapters are conquering the land, the second 12 chapters inhabiting or occupying the land. Now, what land are we talking about? We're talking about the the promised land for the nation of Israel. Well, let's back up. Because Joshua begins the second section of history books from Joshua f- begins 12 history books. But the five that preceded were all written by Moses or his f- friends. And those five books set the stage for what Joshua then fulfills in many ways. Moses was the uh, promise of things to come. And Joshua now brings the fulfillment of the promise. It's the uh, envisioning and the fulfillment or the realization. Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's the beginning of everything. The visible world of the universe and the invisible world of the angels. The beginning of humanity. The beginning of sin. The beginning of civilization. The beginning of government. Of culture. Of music. Of law. Of money. It's all there captured in the book of Genesis. But the biggest beginning and what receives the most amount of uh, chapters and record is that because Genesis contains the beginning of humanity and the beginning of sin, it's the beginning promise of the Redeemer who would come to be the Savior for all people on earth. And the first promise of God's Son is right there in the third chapter, verse 15 and 16 of the book of Genesis. But in order for the Redeemer to be born, there had to be a nation from whom that Redeemer would come. And so God chose one man, Abraham, to make of him a great nation, Israel. That out of the nation of Israel, that Redeemer would be born. So that's really the beginning book of the Bible, Genesis, is capturing, and the bigger scope, the beginning of humanity, the need for a Redeemer, and the nation from whom that Redeemer would come. Exodus is the deliverance of the people of Israel. Leviticus is the worship of the people of Israel. Numbers is the journeying of the people of Israel. And Deuteronomy, the preparation of the people to enter into the promised land. So what God begins in the first five chapters and promises, He fulfills now in the book of Joshua as Joshua, this leader, is going to lead the people of Israel across the Jordan River into the Promised Land and one victory conquest after another. That's the book of Joshua. It gets less interesting in the second half because the second half is the parceling out of the land. But even though it might seem like it's boring to us, it's not at all boring because It's one fulfillment of a promise after another. Every people was promised a land, and they're now getting their land. It's the fulfillment of what God promised for the past 500 years. is now being fulfilled in this book. Now let's open the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Chapter 1, God gives Joshua parameters. First of all, God identifies Joshua as Moses' successor. What Moses began, Joshua will complete. He gives Joshua promises. I'm going to give you this land. I'll give you every place you set your foot. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And that great promise that's brought comfort to so many of us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But with the promises, God gives parameters. Your territory, and it's described from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Your territory will extend from Lebanon on the north to the desert on the south to the river on the east to the great sea on the west. And that's the perimeter of God's land that he's giving to the people of Israel now. We've encouraged everyone, as you read through the Bible, to use three-color pens. I was fun. Um, Sherry's always been borrowing my red pen. And this week, Sherry went out and bought her own red, blue, and black pens. Because we're encouraging everyone, when you read, don't just read with one color pen, but read with three. And here's the deal. Blue is for general information, things you'd like to remember, Oh, so that's where the walls of Jericho fell down. So just mark that in blue. General information. Red are the promises of God. The things God says I will do for you. Black are the things God wants us to do for him. Now, I remind us of this as we're looking now at Joshua chapter 1 because... The first 11 verses are either red or black. And it begins all red. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you every place your foot touches. I will never leave you or forsake you. Your territory will extend from here to here to here because I'm going to give it to you. It's all red. It's all what God's going to do for Joshua and for the people of Israel. Then you come to verse 6 and it all turns black. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. And then it ends red. I will never leave you or forsake you. It's always important when we're walking with God to understand what His responsibility is and what our responsibility is. And for Joshua, it is defined very clearly what his responsibility was. Now, even a casual read would tell you this thing of being strong and courageous is very important to God. Three times God repeats it. Anything we repeat once is important. Twice it's very important. God repeats this. Three times. And not only does God tell Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. Then the people of Israel tell Joshua the last verse. It's verse 18 of chapter one. Only be strong and courageous. The people tell Joshua just in case he forgot what God told him. The people are now reminding him be strong and courageous. And who knows how many hundreds of thousands of people told him that the people corporately told him. So that's four times that we know of Joshua's told be strong and courageous. But just turn with me back a few pages back into the book of Deuteronomy. God told the people of Israel, chapter 31, verse 6, Moses says to the people of Israel, with Joshua standing there, Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Then Moses summons Joshua to stand in front of him in the presence of all Israel. And now Moses singles Joshua out and says to him again, be strong and courageous. Verse 7. And then before this chapter is over, if you turn the page perhaps to verse 23, now the Lord is about to command Joshua all by himself, be strong and courageous. So three times in Deuteronomy, four times in Joshua 1, that's seven times God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Now, come to think of it, can anyone tell me the difference between being strong and being courageous? Don't try too hard, because I don't think there's really any difference. To be strong is to be courageous. To be courageous is to be strong. So if you look at it that way, 14 times! God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. But now follow this. We're in chapter one now of Joshua. Verse six says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because you, Joshua, will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Fair enough. For him to go where no one has gone before will require him to be strong and courageous and to take several million people with him as the leader responsible to lead the charge. It's no wonder God is telling him to be strong and courageous. But now follow this. Verse 7, Joshua 1. Be strong and very courageous. It's only here that God adds the word very courageous. But notice it's a whole different thing. Verse 6 was because you're going to lead the people. Verse 7 now, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey All the law my servant Moses gave you, do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Now, he's to be strong and courageous because he's going to lead outwardly other people. But he's to be strong and very courageous because he has to lead himself first. And that's harder than leading others. Now, I emphasize this point for a reason. Many people misunderstand the entire book of Joshua thinking it's all about military conquest. It's all about the fact that God loves the nation of Israel more than the other peoples of the world. And he's giving them the land that belonged to other people. That completely misses the point. And I'm going to prove it to you. Turn with me to the end of the book of Joshua. To chapters 23 and 24. When Joshua gets to the end of his life, in many ways it really begins in chapter 22, verse 5. Joshua says, by way of reminder of the people, knowing that he's about to die, his final speech to put the, the icing on the cake, so to speak, to put the finishing touches on his leadership. Look at what he says. But be careful to keep the commands and the law. Moses the servant of the Lord gave you. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To obey his commands. To hold fast to him. And to serve him with all your heart. And all your soul. Now what he goes on to do here. This is so powerful. He doesn't mention anything about how to lead a military crusade. He doesn't talk about good government. The theme of these final chapters is all about worship of the one true God in contrast to idolatry. Seven times idols are mentioned here in these last two chapters. Chapter 22, verse 7. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the name of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, those idols. Verse 16, if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will perish in the land. Chapter 24, verse 3, referring to Abraham, he used to worship other gods. But I led him out of those gods and out of that land and led them into this land. Chapter 24, verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers that they served, the gods of the Amorites in the land that you are now living. And then these marvelous words that most of us have heard But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then the people respond, verse 16. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord who brought us out of the land. And then finally, Joshua reminds them again, verse 23. Now then, if that's true, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The history of the Old Testament is not that God loves the one nation, Israel, more than the other nations of the world. The story of the Old Testament is that God loves the nations of the world, and He's chosen one people, in many ways the least deserving of all the nations, from whom His Redeemer would come and through whom He would show mercy to all peoples. They were not given the land because there was anything better about them than those that were evicted. But what God wanted in that land is the same that God wants in northeast Atlanta. And that is a people who are not given to idols, but who worship the one true God. That's what God wanted then, and it's what He wants today. And so many, in the Crusades and in dark periods of Christian history, Christians have lost sight of what Joshua is all about. And think that this somehow gives us permission to bomb abortion clinics or to do other horrible things in the name of, of our God because they did it back then and we should be able to do it today. We're missing the point. What God wanted then was to rid the land of idols and he wanted a people who were pure and wholeheartedly devoted to the one true God and worshipped him. And that's what God's after today. One of the other stories I want us to turn a few pages back to chapter 7. It's the story of... The man whose name was Achan. Israel had just conquered the impenetrable fortress of Jericho. Two huge walls, they miraculously fell down and Israel got a great victory. Israel was instructed Anything of value, the gold and the silver, must be given over to the custody of the Levites to go as treasury in the house of God. None of it is for you to take for your own purposes. It's all devoted to the Lord. Get the picture? So the walls fell down, the people ran in they took the vast majority of the gold and silver and brought it into the storehouse of God. Except one man snuck some and put it in his back pocket. Put some in his side pocket. And he left with his pockets bulging. He snuck home. What's that? A peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you got? Some locks and bagels there, sticking. He snuck home. Nobody suspected a thing. Everyone else did what they were supposed to, except for Aiken. He dug a hole in the in his home. His family members said, "Hey, what's going on?" Shh. He kept digging. He put this loot that he stole. Who's going to know? A victimless crime. Okay, they won Jericho. Now there's a teeny little town. AI. Kind of like Lilburn. Small, harmless. Lilburn. AI. We don't need hundreds of thousands of soldiers. Let's send a few thousand. Well, they come back with their tails between their legs. Twenty-three of them were killed. They lost. Why? Well, there was a little pride in their hearts thinking that they could pull this one off without a lot of effort. And Joshua's furious. Joshua tears his clothes. He falls down on his face and he starts praying, God, what would you bring us here? To kill us? What's going on? How could you let this happen? And God says to Joshua, Stand up! You don't need to pray, you don't need to pout, you need to repent, because there's sin in the house. Somebody stole the stuff devoted to God. And because there's sin in the house, you're not going to win that battle. You lost. Because it's not by your strength that you're ever going to win any of these battles. If I'm not on your side, you're going to lose. Now, this is the most amazing thing. God says, consecrate the people. How do we do that? Present yourselves by tribes. So all 12 tribes, all millions of Israelites are standing before the Lord. And the Lord says to those 11, kind of like American Idol, you know, you guys can go home. It's just somebody in this tribe. So there's now a few hundred thousand. Then the rest of the clans can go. It's this clan. So there's now about a thousand. And they take the clan. In this family, all the other families can go home. Now there's about a hundred. And from that hundred, 99 of you can go home. Aiken is the guy. God has a way of smoking us out. God loves us too much to allow us to succeed in our rebellion. Christian parents remember that. The issue isn't your child's success. The issue is your child's heart. And sometimes God allows our children to go through some tough times because he wants their heart. And we're praying success, success, success. Well, success without godliness is no success at all. You're praying against the will of God if you're praying for success without godliness. God loves us too much to allow us to succeed Without him. So then Joshua says to Achan. I love this. My son. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't distance himself. My son. Give glory to God. Give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. How would you like to be Achan? It's true. I've sinned against the Lord. This is what I've done. I saw it. I coveted it. I took it. I hid it. It's inside my tent. They ran, dug it up, brought it back. And that day God and the people of God judged his whole family. Because he did it and they all watched it and they were guilty by association. What a powerful story that shows as much as God loves Israel, Israel is not a superior people. It's not about the superiority of a race. It is about the supremacy of the one true God. And He wants His earth covered with the knowledge of His glory. So that all people and every acre of land on this globe has idols removed. So that the worship of the one true God rises off of this earth. That's what Joshua is all about. Be strong and courageous. Why? So you can be better than the next guy? No. So that you, as one strong and courageous can worship the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength so that you can live in integrity. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Powerful. It's the message of Joshua. It's not about beating up on other people. It's about beating up on idols and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So that we live to the praise and glory of God and those in our household, those in our immediate family and in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our schools, that we desire the glory of God and we see any other idol as a rival to the one true God who deserves all praise and honor and glory. When Joshua went to Achan, he didn't say, where's the idol? He said, give praise to God. Give him what he deserves. But uh, I've got this thing buried in my tent. And brothers and sisters, I just need to make this one application. In our day, one of the idols that God is exposing across the board. Is the idol of Baalism. Baal means possession and it means possessor. The idol that has a toehold in our land, in Northeast Atlanta, in North America, is possession, money, wealth, security. And one of the ways that God has given every one of us to keep our hearts in love with Jesus and free from the idol of possession is giving to God our tithe and offerings. To give first to Him, lest we have buried in our investments stuff that belongs to Him that was never ours in the first place. That is a fair application. It's not the only application. But it's an entirely fair application for every one of us. No, we're all leaders of one sort or another. To whom much is given, much is required. And God tells us who are leaders, be strong and courageous as you lead is you're going to take God's people where they've never been before. Okay, that's good. That we offer strong, courageous leadership. But even more importantly than the leadership we offer to others is the leadership we offer to ourselves. But when it comes to governing over your own moral life, over your own marriage, over your own money, be strong and very courageous. Beat off recklessly the covetousness, the the evil desires, the, the greed, the lusts of life that would entice us and tempt us and call us offside. Now I want to encourage you to say with Joshua, as for me, I will serve the Lord. No idols! And I want to speak not only for myself, but for all who are in my sphere of responsibility. I'm not going to allow my home to be victimized by idols. I'm not going to allow it to, as far as it depends on me, my neighborhood to be ruled by idols. My school, my workplace, my spheres of influence. By the grace of God, I want in my home to set the standard of worship to the one true God. And in my neighborhood, I'm there to be a worshiper to God. In my workplace, in my school, I will worship God and I will call others to worship the one true God. And the fact of the matter is, Anyone worshiping another god, whether the god of materialism or the god of Buddhism or Hinduism, the god of success or prosperity or security, is in serious danger. They're out there exposed. And they are today under the wrath of God. And God wants us to call them to repentance. And to love them and to show them that Jesus provides a better way. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And we will be strong and courageous as we serve the Lord. We're not going to take a back seat. We're not going to be passive. We're all in. Wholehearted. Giving to our God. Our love. Our service. Our obedience. Our worship. Amen.